Hello, this is How I Crushed It. I'm Tunde, and this is the podcast which shines a light on talent within the community. It's a brand new podcast, but we'll think you'll like it. Talent comes in many forms, so we're going to be interviewing people flying high in the entertainment business, people that have had a lot of success in sports, and others riding high in the corporate world, some of whom you might not necessarily have seen in the papers or heard on the radio, but they've risen to the top of their profession nevertheless. We're going to be getting to know them a little better, what drives them, and finding out what was key to them becoming successful. Now, my guest this week is Mark McIver, also known as Slider Cuts. He is one of the most visible barbers in the UK. Now, I checked out earlier, and he's got over 185,000 followers on his Instagram and around about 29,000 on YouTube. And he's been cutting hair professionally since 2003. He's become so popular because over that 20-year period, he's managed to amass clients of the likes of NBA player LeBron James, boxer Anthony Joshua, and UK rapper Stormzy, just to say a few. He's got a fantastic barbershop in Hackney, which opened in 2018, and he employs a large team over there. Not only this, but he's an experienced public speaker. He's an author and released a book called Shaping Up Culture in 2019. Through his Slider Cuts brand, he's done promotions with Nike and Facebook. All of this has meant Mark was recognized for his position as one of the UK's top black business people following his win at the acclaimed Black British Awards in 2018. And he was also nominated for the prestigious Evening Standard Business Awards in 2019. He is also the owner of the barbershop I go to, so I just had to get him on the show. Thank you, Mark, so much for coming in today. Uh, When I say coming in, we're doing it virtually just for the listeners. Uh, But no, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy. How are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you for having me on the show. No problem at all. No problem. How did you get caught up with all the snow early in the week? Well, I didn't get caught up. My children loved it, I guess. My oldest son, especially all week, had been praying for it to snow because, you know, he just wanted snow. So when it came, you know, went outside through some snowballs and all that kind of stuff there. So yeah, it, it was all good. You know, the children love it. Brilliant. I've, I've just got a new housemate who um, who moved in yesterday and he's he's from India. I hope he doesn't mind me sort of mentioning his name, but he's never seen, he's never seen snow before. So um, yeah, that was something new for him. That was, I thought it was quite amazing. An experience. Exactly. Mark, I, I, I know your name is uh, MacIver. Is that obviously you've got a Nigerian background like myself, but that sounds quite Scottish. Are, are there any... Scottish roots to that to that surname? Yes, there is actually. So basically, my great granddad was adopted by a Scottish man, and that wow. is how we got the name MacIver. So even though they've always lived, my family have always lived in Nigeria up until me, who's the first one of this generation in their lineage who were born in the UK. He was adopted by a Scottish man, and that's how the name actually just came about. How interesting is that? So, but the, but the funny thing is, I don't have any Scottish in me. 
because there's two adoptions. So I've got no Scottish blood in me. And do, do, do you, I mean, you mentioned Nigeria there. Did you get to go back uh, often or not, not, not really? I haven't been since I was young. Yeah. Yeah. So um, obviously you are a man of many talents, you know, primarily known for, for the barbershop that you've got in, in Hackney. And I don't know if the listeners know, but I actually go to your barbershop. I don't, I don't get cut by, by yourself, but um, I know there are quite a few guys there that I've been cut by. So is that what you wanted to do when you were a kid or what did you actually want to do when you were a kid? When I was young, I wanted, no, I didn't want to be a barber. I wanted to do a few things. I wanted to be an actor when I was really young, like seven, eight years old. Then I wanted to be like an MC in that phase when I was in my young teens. Like I'm 38 right now. So, you know, about 25 years ago, everybody wanted to be an MC or a DJ, one of the two. So there was that phase when I wanted to be an MC. Then I wanted to act again. Well, basically I never stopped wanting to act probably until I was about maybe 18, 19 is when I stopped. So I always wanted to be an actor up until that point there. So, you know, I did performing arts in school. I did performing arts in college. I went to a drama school called Sylvia Young. So that was always going on. Barbering came in when I was about 13 years old, 13, 14, because I was just tired of getting these haircuts that weren't that great, to be honest, <laughs> from my mum, from my older brothers. So I decided to try and pick up the clippers and give myself a haircut, one that, that would hopefully be better than the ones I was getting. And that's how kind of I started cutting hair because we didn't have no money to go to the barbershop. So I was just cutting my hair. It didn't go well. It actually went horribly wrong. I had to cut all my hair off the first time. Still didn't have no money to go to the barbershop. So next haircut, picked up the clippers again. It went horribly wrong again. Next haircut, it went wrong again. Next haircut, it went wrong. But the next haircut, it's kind of like, okay, it's gone wrong. But each time I'm learning from the mistakes I was making before. So it's getting a little bit better, but the haircuts are still horrible. You know, but they just continued like that. And then I started getting slowly better. And then suddenly, you know, my little cousin is living with me and his mom's like, you know, where can he get a haircut from? And I'm like, I'll do it. You know, because I'm interested in cutting hair. I enjoy, I'm enjoying it. Then I'm cutting my little brother every now and then. Then I start cutting people in my area, friends, people live on my road. And then slowly it was just something I just enjoyed doing. So it was, actually wasn't anything I started off to be a career. It started off through one necessity and two, because I had this this fondness for the idea of cutting hair. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of similar similar things that I've experienced as well, kind of growing up, having your kind of mum attempt to cut your hair, and then basically out of frustration, just getting a pair of clippers yourself and attempting to do it yourself. And I remember standing in front of the wardrobe, having a, a mirror behind you and trying to do it yourself. And I, like yourself, I failed miserably. And I think I gave <laughs> yeah, up after, yeah. after the second uh, occasion. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously you're an experienced barber. What would you say is the art of good barbering? What's the key to being a, a good barber? The key to being a good barber is understanding how a good haircut should look. I think that's one of the major keys because I see a lot of, a lot of barbers out there who know how to cut hair, who know the techniques, who know how to fade out a skin line but they don't understand what a good haircut looks like. So they just did a bunch of, you know, fading, a bunch of shape-ups, but the shape-ups are wrong angles. You know, the fades you're giving maybe, you know, don't suit the hair that you're doing it on, or, you know, you're fading it in the wrong place. So I think it's understanding. So where I was very fortunate was because before I started cutting hair, I was always looking at people's haircuts from when I was about seven years old. 
that's where the interest actually started. I was always looking at people's haircuts in my school on TV from, you know, everyone from, you know, David Beckham to, you might not remember this. I don't know how old you are, but like there was this show called Hang Time that used to be on when I was younger. I used to watch the guy from Hang Time. It was a basketball show from America. I remember this guy used to have this haircut, which was like a high skin fade and a number three on top. And I remember I used to say, yeah, when I get older, if I ever go to the barbershop, that's the haircut I'm going to get. But because of all of that watching, basically, even though I didn't know how to cut hair, I always had this idea in my head of what a good haircut should look like. So I think one of the keys to being a good barber is understanding that. Because if you do it the other way around, where you understand how to cut hair, but you don't understand how, what a haircut should look like, you'll still keep giving bad haircuts. I see. I mean, I've, I've, I've been going to the barbers for years now, on and off though, and not, not constantly throughout the whole year. Sometimes I've, I've managed to do it myself and, you know, just go, you know, have a bald head basically. But what would you say is one of the myths about your industry or, or your, yeah, your, your, your industry, I guess, what would you say is one of the myths that you'd like to sort of dispel or, or debunk? You know what? I think that, unfortunately, a lot of the myths or a lot of the, what some might say, misconceptions of the industries or the industry, unfortunately, is partially true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> unfortunately, that's the reality. So the part I play in the industry is someone who's trying to change some of these, I can't say misconceptions, some of these bad values, because they're not misconceptions. You know, so when we're coming from the industry which I'm in, you know, the things which are kind of like, the stigmas around it is, you know, barbering, you know, not professional. Timekeeping is horrible. Oh. If your barber says he's coming in, or she, your barber says he's coming in at 10 o'clock, he's not really going to be there till about 11, 30, 12 o'clock if he comes in at all. <laughs> your barber's just not, just not going to show up. Your barber does what he wants. Yeah, there's all of these kind of things like, which are like horrible stigmas around the industry. And they're not actually untrue. You know, they're not true to every single individual, but they're not untrue. So I think I play a part in my education in the way I present myself in the shop that I built in trying to fight that stigma. But I can't act like it's untrue though, because I wouldn't be fighting that stigma and I wouldn't be trying to change the industry if there was nothing to change. So how are you trying to change the perceptions in of, of, of barbering? Through my example of the way I'm behaving, in the way I act, in the way I you know, um, influence and you know, force my barbers to act as well and in the things which I teach people so that's the way which I'm trying to do it yeah so um I mentioned on the uh on the intro that um you're an author and you you came out with a your first kind of book back in 2019 I believe so you know you do a lot in the community and I was wondering and this is slightly off tangent but I, I was wondering if you were I don't know the black mayor for the day or the, or the black, you know, prime minister for the day, what would you do to solve a problem in the black community? So as I say, you, you, you do a lot for the community. You're sort of like a, a mentor and an advisor, but if you had that day or a week, for example, what, what one thing would you do to try and solve some of our, our problems? Um, well, first of all, I'll say this though. I respect people in authority because um, a lot of us, well, not a lot of us, majority of us are critics. And we think we have the answers to everything. And we always say, if we were there, I'd just do that. You know, then prime minister is just horrible. He doesn't know what he's doing. She doesn't know what she's doing. All these kind of things there, right? 
But I just respect because I understand it's not easy, these positions. And no matter who's in that role, they cannot resolve all the problems. <laughs> but I think um, what I would probably do off the cuff, I think I'd try invest into educating, into education, should I say, in poorer communities. I think that's what I'd do because I, I think a lot of the issues which I see in our community is obviously there's poverty, but a lot of it as well is education. And that's the reason why I, I do that. You know, that's the reason why I wrote a book. That's the reason why I do my public speaking. That's the reason why I teach. That's the reason why I talk to young people is because I see a lack of education and I'm not talking about education when it comes to learning how to read, learning how to spell, learning how to add up and multiply and so on. That is part of it as well. But it's about also learning how to implement those things into your life and why those things can be very important in your life. But it's also more so about life education, you know. And if you read my book, that's basically what it is. It's a business book, but it's really a life education book about how you approach kind of life, your ethics, your values, the reason as to why you should be a person of your word, you know, goals, how to set goals correctly. It's not a motivational book where it's just kind of like, you know, go out there and get it, you know, don't worry, you know, the world belongs to you. But it's actually factually trying to teach people, you know, about how to approach these things and how to do these things and why you should be doing things in a certain way. So I think if I was like, you know, prime minister, you know, for the week, for the month, whatever it was, yeah, I think I would probably invest into education in that sense, especially into poor communities. Because what I found in my time now is that when you go into more... Um, I don't like using that word privileged anymore because it seems like it's so stigmatized, that word right now. Yeah. Um, but when you go into more um, affluent, let's say, communities, they have this education. And the reason why they have the education is because um, their parents come from a place of understanding. They might have parents, like two parents. The majority of them might have more like two parents in their life. Um, they're just naturally taught these type of things there because their parents are already educated. So they can naturally teach their children. But the issue in poorer communities is that the parents are educated, so they can't teach their children. So their children are learning from those who don't know. And especially when it comes to us immigrants who, have, who are coming to the country, well, I, I was born here, but where our parents are coming to this country, they don't have the understanding to teach us either because they're new to the country. It's just like, and I always say people, if I was to move to China right now, with all of my success right now and my business acumen that I've learned from here, and I'm 38 years old, if I was to move to China right now, I wouldn't have an understanding of how their system runs. So there's going to be loads of things I do wrong and I don't understand. But if my children are born there, they'll have a better understanding than me. But if I start teaching my children what I think I know, now they're learning from the blind. They're being led by the blind. And now, you know, they don't excel in the community which they're in as well as they could have because I don't fully understand it. Yeah. So I think that's what I'd probably invest into, like education. Education, yeah, yeah, it's so it's so important. I mean, one one of the things I've been really impressed about your sort of journey is is the fact. It, and I, I read somewhere that you, um, or I might have uh, listened to an interview elsewhere where you said that you actually had quite a poor background, and the way that you've yeah. kind of managed to go from that background and become really successful, how you are at the moment. What what do you think has been the key to that that transformation? Um. So I think it's a number of things. One would be perseverance. That these are these are very like cliche sayings, 
you know, you hear them all the time, you know, I persevered, I worked hard, I never gave up, all these type of things there, right? But I think also fortune plays a part where you're brought up, the people which you're around. I think, you know, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, you know, all these different things play a part in, you know, your success and where, where you've got to. So, yes, I grew up I'm very, very poor, you know, um, my mom owned a shop when we were younger. She lost the shop due to her storage house and everything like that being um, robbed and everything being stolen. Don't think my mom had insurance and all those things there because, as I said, she moved to this country. She didn't understand these things. In Nigeria, you didn't have insurance. You know, you just protected your stuff. There was no insurance to insure your stuff that, you know, if your shop got robbed, they were going to pay you out. So she didn't know those things. She didn't know the ways of this, this, this land. So when she lost that shop, you know, and then we lost the house because we were staying in the flat above because we, that's, you know, we had that as well. Then suddenly we became homeless. My dad had already left at that time and gone back to Nigeria. There was four boys. We became homeless. We were in a homeless shelter, you know, but my mom, woman, you know, with four children, we got accommodation quickly, maybe after a night, two nights, something like that. And then we were moving from place to place, just, you know, temporary accommodation for a while until I was about, that was from when I was about maybe, I don't know, four, no, no, five, six, something like that, until we got our permanent place when I was like 10, um, finally in Camden. But I think throughout this whole time, one of the things was my mom has always been like this hustler. So she was always just grasping, trying to do things. Now, none of the things that she worked out fully in the end, but I always saw her trying to do something, trying to work this job, trying to make chin-chin, plantain chips, you know, sell them to shops. Just like, you know, Avon, the catalog for people, you know, selling things on. Just She was always just trying to do stuff. So I think, you know, subconsciously, one, I'm seeing all those type of things there. You know, just working, just working, just working, just working, just working hard. But then I had an interest in business as well from seven years old. And that was something that my mom told me. She literally told me when I was seven, six or seven years old, she said to me that my granddad, her dad, owned a rubber factory in Nigeria before. And she used to, you know, he used to sell rubber and import it and export it, sorry, to different countries and sell it. And I remember that was the first point of business that I ever really kind of like connected with the idea that he had a factory that made stuff and he sold it. And I remember, I think I must have been six or seven years old, maybe six, seven years old. And I remember just being like, that is amazing. And also because we were poor at that time, I remember that really connected me because it's kind of like, wow, there's someone like my granddad had a factory. He owned something like that. You know, it was like he wasn't poor. It really, res- it really resonated with me. Like, why is the why I still remember the story? And I remember when we were like seven years old, we were in my in a living room, and we saw on TV that Arnold Schwarzenegger just earned so I can't remember millions for some film, right? This is and this is the start of you could say my what business and acting career. And they said he got paid millions, and I remember being like, oh, I want to be an actor. If you get paid millions just to act, that's what started my acting career. Why I want to be an actor, and at the same time we had this conversation in my, our living room where I can't remember what the figure, but someone said, if you were to be given 40,000 pounds, what would you do with it? And my two older brothers were talking about things they would buy, consoles, you know, trainers, all these things there. My younger brother, same thing. And I remember I said, you know what? I would buy a factory to make stuff to sell. And all my brothers just laughed at me because they didn't understand but the reason why I had that was because my mom had previously told me that my granddad did. And this was also the start of my business career, my business mindset, you know? So um, I think my mentality 
is part of the reason as to, you know, the things which have been input to me throughout the years is part of the reason as to why I got to where I'm at now, you know, as well as just other things, you know, just um, people you've been, I've encountered along the way, you know, just influences you have around you. But I think, you know, definitely watching my mum's graft and that, you know, that business mentality. Because I remember from when I was like in my teens working in a youth club, working in a youth club, going to the youth club and just putting on events for the youth club. I remember you know, just doing all these kind of like event planner things and just like, just because I found it fun, you know, I just enjoyed the idea of promoting it and how can we make it successful? And if we sell tickets for this much money and how do we get people in? And I just remember just doing all these things for the youth club, right? And I was just sort of in the youth club and it almost came to a place where it's kind of like I was working for the youth club, not paid, but they would give me things like they'd buy me like McDonald's and stuff like that, right? Because the stuff I was just doing in the youth club as a kid, right? But I was just always kind of like pressing in that area because it just interested me. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You, you, you mentioned your mum there quite a few times, like three or four times. But would you say that she's been your your biggest influence in your in your career, or you know, who, who would you say is, is, has been the most influential? I'm not sure who's been the most influential, but she definitely plays a big part in that because um, I think that's where my grafter nature comes from. Is from her. I wouldn't say my business acumen comes from her. Because as I said, my love, my mum understood how to run business in this country. Yeah. But the way she ran business is the way that would more so work in Nigeria. But her grafting nature of always trying something and, you know, something failed and then she picked up something else. And then it didn't work out. Then she tried something else. And then she's making this and she's making that and she's selling this. She said, always trying something. That is a backbone because... Along the way on my journey, plenty of things have sailed, have failed, sorry, not sailed. Some things have sailed and some things have sunk. I think that grafting nature for my mum where it's just kind of just getting on with things and just working hard, yeah. you know, and just getting on with it and not complaining, just getting on with it. You, you just do, you know, has definitely impacted me and has definitely played a major part. Yeah, I mean, resilience is always one of the key things, isn't it, to anybody becoming successful? Um, not, you know, it's not all a bunch of roses. And I read somewhere that you at one point were about to launch or you invested in a, a booking app for, for barbers. Is, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do, do you want to tell the listeners a bit more about that, how that came about and why you, de- why you decided not to, to go forward with that? So basically I was creating this booking app because at a time I wanted to create a booking app for barbers and I was becoming a very busy barber. And I was just thinking about the ideas of what, I could do to make my life more easy because, you know, I'm on the phone for hours every day after work, booking people in throughout the days, people are calling me, messaging me. My phone's just flooded. I'm fully booked, you know, and it's just like, I'm spending all my time working and then sorting out my schedule for work. So I decided to create a booking app that would, you know, was based on all my needs because there was not a lot of barbers that actually were working to my capacity. Like, I didn't actually know any barbers that were working to my capacity. You know, I'm working from early morning to 5 in the morning. Then, you know, I'm working till about 6, 7 p.m. Then I'd go home. Then I'd be on my phone for, like, four or five hours wow. booking appointments. Then I'd go to sleep around 12 o'clock, maybe 12.30. Then I'd wake up every day at, like, 2 in the morning. Then spend about an hour booking appointments. Then I'd wake up whenever it was 4 o'clock to go to work again. Yeah. So I was maxed out. So I was like, you know what? If I could like create a system that could help me with what I'm doing, 
So I started booking, making this booking system. There were a few other booking systems at this time that were just created, but they just weren't that good. All the ideas which I had that would help me, they never had yet. So I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I'm, you know, investing money, which I didn't have either. I was, you know, taking money off my credit cards, you know, and things like that. So I've invested about £30,000 so far. The basic start of the project was going to cost like 65, 70, maybe £70,000. So I'm about £30,000 in. And I started looking at some of the other booking systems, a few of the other booking systems that I had seen before, which never had none of these things that I was implementing. And I started realizing that, oh, wow, now they started implementing some of these ideas, which I had, you know, and then I hadn't even launched it yet. And then, you know, as, they, as we're going along, I'm like, okay, they've added this now, they've added that now. And I started realizing, whoa, like, let's say this particular booking system is actually now level with majority of my ideas that I had. Even though I started book, building this booking system maybe a year and a half, two years before, but I'm like, right, I haven't even launched yet. And now it's matching this. And it feels like they're moving quite quickly as well. And then I started thinking, so actually, you know what? They are focused fully on this booking system. It was difficult what I was building. I realized that actually they're going to surpass me and I haven't even got the time to even keep this up. So I had to pull the plug on the project because I had to acknowledge a couple of things. One, it wasn't going to fully work now because I can see they're, they're, they're almost level with what I'm doing and I haven't even launched it. So by the time I launch it in what, a year, a year and a half, they're going to be past me because this is what they do full time. This is what I'm trying to squeeze into my schedule that I'm telling you about. So I used to have to have meetings with this company overseas early in the morning, you know, on not, not Zoom because Zoom didn't exist back then, early in the morning, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning, or, you know, 4.30, 5 a.m. in the morning, you know, trying to find time. And I just didn't have the time. So I pulled a plug on it because I just knew that, one, I wasn't going to um, work. And then also I realized another thing, which was it's better to actually go and partner with those who specialize in the field that you're trying to enter instead of trying to be a master of the thing you are not a master of. I had great ideas. It doesn't mean I'm going to execute it well. Those great ideas would have been great to actually partner with another company and say, you know, look, I've got these ideas. These are the things I thought would make a booking system better. And that's actually what eventually happened. When I actually just started using this other booking system, I actually was just speaking to the owner all the time. They're saying, look, these are all ideas I had, this and that. And it improved their system, right? And I didn't have, it didn't cost me no money. So as much as, you know, we could have the idea of like, you know, ownership and you should own everything and your ideas mean everything and all these type of things there, my booking system was never going to work. And I could have gone right to the end and spent 60, 70,000 pounds and I would have lost that. I lost 30,000 pounds, but I think it was a very costly, valuable lesson, which was one, just partner with those who are experts in their industry instead of trying to go alone in everything you're doing, instead of trying to own everything you're doing, you know, especially when an era now where everyone's talking about ownership. I own this, I own that, you know, you know, I'm a hundred percent owner, you know, I'm the boss and all these other things there. Right. And it's just like, actually, so what, what's the point of being the boss of a company that's a failed, that's a failed company. I own that booking system. So what is a failed booking system? Yeah. You know, now instead I just, actually work with other uh, booking systems and I don't take any money from them, you know, you know, in the sense of like, I don't work for them. I just use other booking systems instead. And then when I've got ideas, I just tell them the ideas because when those booking systems work correctly, it makes my working life better. And that was the purpose of the booking system in the beginning that I was building just to make my life easier and make sure that I'm not on the phone for four, five, six hours a night booking people in. 
Yeah, I mean, I've 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 noticed that quite a lot of these ideas actually come from a selfish point of view. You know, like you you realise that there's a gap in the market, or you wish that some somebody would come up with an app or some kind of application to solve a problem. Like I think the guy that came up with Calendly, you know, the kind of scheduling yeah. tool. That was the reason why he set it up. You know, he was just frustrated with you know not being able to book in meetings efficiently, and he came up with his own app. And you know, there's other there's numerous examples of people just kind of taking responsibility and saying, right, I'm going to solve that problem. So yeah, that's, that's really interesting. But you mentioned there about promotions and for people that don't know, you are a kind of uh, a whiz on, on social media. You do some, uh, some great content on there. And uh, I, I think at the last, co- at the last count, you've got over like 185,000 followers on, on uh, Instagram and like 30,000 on on Twitter, on YouTube, sorry. My, my oh, yeah, my, yeah, my, yeah. yeah, my YouTube subscribers is about <laughs> 29.2, I think, right now. My TikTok is about 70, no, about 57,000. Oh, wow. My, tic, my, my um, Twitter is low, but it's because I don't actually use it. It's like 2,000, but it's just I just don't use it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you just seem so brave with, with social media and the way that you use it. But what, what advice would you have for people that are maybe you know, maybe they're in a bit more of a corporate kind of career, you know, maybe, I don't know, they were a, a lawyer or a, you know, a bank or something, and they can't be as outlandish and out there as, as maybe other people. What advice would you give them? You know, how could they use social media to better put themselves forward and, and help grow their careers? Well, yeah, um, the basic thing in any career which you're in, whatever you do, whether you're a banker, you're a solicitor, you're a doctor, you're a personal trainer, Whatever it is you do, all you have to do is figure out what you know. That I think that is the first key thing. Figure out what do you know. In the industry you're in, what do you know? Now, there are two elements actually to this. One element is it might not be what you know. If you're going to go down the road of just being a personality, then people, it doesn't actually matter if you're the most knowledgeable on things you know. It just, might, it just can just be entertainment. So let's say you're a postman that keeps posting, you know, I don't know, the letters in the wrong box, right? If you were filming your journey, right, and it's kind of like, oh, I've done it again, oh, there's another complaint. Now, the reality is you might get fired, especially that you're documenting it as well, right? But let's say, let's go with, let's say you don't get fired, right? You're actually just doing almost a vlog of your life and the, the hiccups and the mistakes and it's entertaining to people, right? You know, as long as you don't get fired. So that is one um, element, you know, you're an entertainer. So it doesn't actually matter whether you are that knowledgeable on what you're doing or you actually know exactly your industry. You're just, you're filming that, the reality of it, you know, your hiccups, things you don't know and the things you're doing wrong. But if you take the other side of it and you are like, you are very knowledgeable in your career, then you can actually just put those tips out there. So let's say you're a postman or you're a banker or you're a solicitor. All you've got to do is just find a need and answer those questions. So what are the basic things people don't know? Find a niche, okay. Um, you see it all the time online now, stop and search. People which talk about, you know, what you should say when you get stopped in search and this and that. And those videos get views. Why? Because there's a lot of people out there which are like, okay, what are my actual rights? You know, that person who's saying it doesn't have that, that much personality or anything like that. They're just selling you something that you want to know. You know, it could be, it doesn't have to be something about stop and search. It could be employment law. There's a bunch of people just put out information. Employment law, that's what you know. So just kind of like, listen, your employment law, oh, someone can't sack you unless this happens or someone can't blah, 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 unless this happens. 
you'll get views for that simply just because people want to know that. Your postman, as example, you might just be explaining to people, oh, why do sometimes your, your, your letters get, go missing? Oh, it's because blah, 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 this happened, this happened. You know, how does your letter go from um, the post box and end up halfway across the world in your door? It just, all you're doing is just teaching people the things that you actually know. And what you'll find is there's an audience out there that care. So if you want to start a social media page and you want to grow a following, the basic thing to do is literally just teach on what you know. And when you start, I'll let you know, it's going to be rubbish. Because when you start anything, it never starts off amazing. So the thing you have to get over is your confidence in you trying to be perfect initially. If you look at anyone's starter videos, people's first acting roles, people's first blogs, they, when you look back at them, they cringe. They're always going to be that. But you just have to start to get better. Just sell literally what you know, and you will find there's a group of people out there that care about that. Now, I, I read somewhere that 2021, in your own words, was probably your most successful year for you, you know, financially. Uh, I hope you don't mind, but you said you, you earned a six-figure sum. And it wasn't all through the barbershop. I think that was by giving talks off of your book and other bits and pieces, brand, brand collaborations. So things are obviously going really well for you. But what, what are your plans moving forward? You know, what are your plans for the business? Are you looking at expansion? Because I know we would definitely welcome a slider cuts in Croydon. Um, that, yeah, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, please come down here and open up one in Croydon because... The barbershops in Croydon, they leave a lot to be desired. Um, I'm not mentioning any names, but you, I, I know you mentioned earlier about waiting for a barber to turn up. I've had that exact experience, literally waiting outside the barber for about 25, 30 minutes, and he not turning up, and I basically had to go because I, I had to I'd have yeah. an interview to go to. So, yeah, what are your plans for, for the business and just on, on a wider context? Um, I'm not sure at this moment. Like, this is no exaggeration, but every week a few people ask me, am I going to franchise or open up another branch? You know, so you're the first person this week, but I'm sure another few people <laughs> ask me this week. Um, <laughs> um, do you know what it is? For me, I could open up another shop, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I won't, but I just don't want to spend my life chasing the next thing. And it's a, I think it's a very important thing to understand about yourself and understand what is the end goal. Because the issue is a lot of us just work and work and work and work and work. But we actually haven't set out the end goal or set out what we want. And just to make it clear, your end goal can always change. But we just don't set out the things which we want out of life. And some of the things which I want out of life, right, which seem to be so basic maybe is, you know, I want to be around for my children, you know. So, you know, like two, three times a week, I take my children to school, pick them up from school. You know, I get to do that right now. Um, I enjoy doing that. I want to be that, you know, that's not a burden for me. You know, I want to be involved in my children's lives. I want to be involved in my wife's life. Um, I want to see friends. I want to spend time with family. I want to go out for dinner with people. I want to meet up with people. There's, I want, I'm really so caught up on that. I love connecting with people. And these are some like the main things I want to do in life. There's other things as well. I want to help people out. And that's the reason why, you know, I do some of the initiatives, which I do. And with all the things I want to do, it's like, do I actually need to expand to do these things? Can I look after my children, see my children, raise them up, invest into their lives, invest into my marriage, see my family, see my friends? Do I need to open up multi-branches to do that? And it's like, well, no, you don't. So the question is, 
why do you want to do that multi-branches then? Because honestly, I don't particularly care that much about my name being everywhere. Although it's good for the ego. You know, we all have an ego to some degree. It's great for the ego to say, you know, walking around and all around London, there's loads of slider cuts everywhere. But ultimately, how does that help the goal of what you actually want to do in life? So I think it's just an important question just to ask. Everyone has to ask themselves because sometimes you, you're working for a vision you don't even understand or you're working for someone else's vision or you're working on the basis of just because you can do more, you're doing more, but is that what you actually want to do? And a very important thing is whenever I have spoken to people who are later on, not, not, well, you've spoken to people or heard stories from people who are later on in their lives, right, who have spent their whole life chasing the next thing and building and building and building and building and building, their biggest regrets have always been they wish they would have spent more time with their family and loved ones. And hearing all those things there, how do the next generation still make exactly the same mistake? Yeah. That they realize when they get older, actually, I feel like I, you know, I've achieved so much stuff. I made millions and millions or tens of millions or billions. But actually, I never enjoyed. I never spent time with my family. I neglected my wife. I neglected my children. And all these other things there, right? So I don't want that to be the case with me as to why I'm not just saying, like, oh, I'm just going to open up another shop. And if I do open up another shop, which it could happen, it will be me passing on some responsibility. Because with this shop here, you know, I'm a hundred percent owner. Um, I've done, I've done, you know, I've, I've taken everything on the weight on myself. I've done, you know, everything. I've had help. I mean, but I mean, I've done everything. I've done it all myself in a sense, right? So if I was to do it again, I'd be like, okay, cool. You know, well, you know, this time I'm not going to be as much involved. I'm going to be involved, but I'm not going to be like how it was with my shop now. You know, I need to have more help helping me. I'm going to, you know, it's just not going to be exactly the same as it is there because I'm not working flat out like I've done before because in the last 12, 15 years of my life, I've worked flat out, you know, for always chasing the next thing for good reasons. And that started from, you know, one was, as an example, you know, getting married. You know, I got married three months after getting married. I bought our first flat to live in. You know, that cost a lot of money, money I didn't really have, had to find money, had to borrow money, had to do all these different things, right? Then I remember when we got out of that kind of like phase of my life, which is, you know, you could say there was some debts and things like that. Um, maybe two years later, I remember being like, whoa, we got, I've got space. I remember being like, right, I'm out of debt for all the money we spent in the house and everything, the flat, sorry. I was like, right, we've got some space. I've got some space right now. So for literally a few months, three, four months, right? It was like, whoa, I have money just to go and buy food. Because you know, and during that period, literally, all the money that came in every week went straight out. I had even more money going out than coming in. So I was working extra hours trying to make up to make the payments every single week for about two years and three months, right? So when that ended, I was like, whoa, you know, I can actually just go and buy something. I don't have to check. No, I, it felt freeing. But as soon as that space came, then I started looking into things and I was like, okay, you know, asking questions, long and short of it, that same year, so maybe I got out of all my debt, let's say, I don't know, this was like 2012, 2013. Let's say it's 2014, right? I got into this debt buying a flat in 2012. 2014, January, no, like March or something like that. Um, I've got space now. That same year, like October, I bought another flat because I was like, whoa, I've got some um, equity in my property. It's gone up. I didn't, these things I've learned along the way. I was like, I've got equity in my property. It's gone up. Oh, you know what? I could take equity out of that. I took some money out. I, I bought another place. It needed fixing up badly. I had to borrow some money to do all the works. I'm in debt again. Now, every, every same thing. Every week, all the money's going out. Straight away, so it's kind of like I had a few months off, on to the next thing. 
then also then it's kind of okay cool I kind of got that phase there and then it's like all right I want to live in this area um I saw this flat which is near where we lived you know I was like you know what I'm gonna we're gonna have children because they say that flat I bought previously I, I was renting it out and it was um a third floor property and a flat type thing and I was like okay when we have children I need to find somewhere we're gonna live in that you know and I don't want to be going on the third floor even though this place had three bedrooms but I was like oh there's no lift I said if we have a pram, I was thinking about my wife. I was like, ah, oh, this is not that this is the most suitable place for us to live with a family. So I was like, okay. And I start thinking now, because at this point now, I'm thinking about the idea also of like um, setting up cider cuts, my own shop. I was like, but I need to also find somewhere we can live. Because also I had this thing in my head where I was like, you know what? Businesses can fail. And I, so I wanted to make sure that even if cider cuts was to fail, my home life wasn't impacted by it. That, you know, because we were living in a one bedroom flat. At this point as well, we, I just had my first son, 2016. So then I was like, you know, we're going to have more children, all the stuff things there. So I was like, you know, okay, let's get a, fa- a family home, you know, a place in a three-bedroom, you know, so we could move into. So I took some equity out of my property then as well. Then I also had to borrow loads of money, like loads. Like I maxed out all my credit. I done everything, maxed it out, bought this new place. I was like, okay, cool. We're going to rent it out for the moment. We are renting it out now. But I was like, okay, cool. Now... We have a free bedroom there in the area we want to live in in Hackney, you know. Um, so when our family expands, we can move into that, you know, we're ready, you know. So now I can focus on cider cuts. But that put me in so much debt. Like, doing cider cuts, that's what made cider cuts even harder. Because, um, I'll, I'll give you real figures, actually. So because, because it was a buy-to-let property, which I bought, I had to put down, including the stamp duty, £150,000. Now, this was money. I don't say this in a sense of me being a baller. Because it wasn't. I borrowed all the money from different places. I maxed out credit cards. I had, you know, let's say credit cards, you know, £35,000 on there. Took it all off. Literally took all the money off. I, um, you know, borrowed money from here. Borrowed money from people. My mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, my brother. You know, like everywhere. I just found money from everywhere. So now it's kind of like I owe £150,000 for this flat. And then... I bought this flat now and now I'm sorting out payment plans with people. Okay, can I pay you this every week and this every week? And this is why at the same time I'm working so many hours as well. I'm working, you know, casually 14, 16 hour days. And at the same time, like, cause here's the thing I'll say in my journey. I never neglected my family in a sense still. And this is what made it hard. I wasn't sleeping. I would do things like, you know, I remember doing things like going to work at, let's say 5am in the morning. Then I'd leave work at 7am go home, get my son ready, take him to nursery, then go back to work for, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock. Then I would pick up my son from nursery at like 4 o'clock, bring him to the barbershop, stay at the barbershop for another two, two and a half, three hours, then go home, then put him to bed. You know, so I also made, I also always made sure that my responsibilities I was taken care of. And I wasn't, you know, so I was doing, just trying to juggle it all and then I was, you know, then it's like, I owe this money. And then it's like, oh, I need to open up a barbershop now. And now it's kind of like, you know, I set the budget so low, the barbershop. I said, okay, cool. You know, the lease was costing us 30,000 pounds. I said, okay, we're going to do a basic fit out 20,000 pounds. I need to find 50,000 pounds now and borrow it from somewhere. But then the guy changed the lease price. said, okay, 60,000 pounds now or 65,000 pounds now. I'm like, ah, oh, geez. And then it's kind of like the, the build ends up being about 150, 160, maybe a thousand pounds. It was just like, if you read my book, I talk about it in the chapter of the struggle is real because people, it's not easy. And that's what I meant that, you know, for the last 15 years of my life, in a sense, I've just been stretching myself, 
you know, just working flat out, trying to get to the next thing, you know, trying to get to the next place, next place. Like, you know, just debts on debts, you know. So when I'm just like, I talk about it in a barbershop all the time. I'm like, you know, yeah, how much do you owe? I think I owe like 400,000 pounds. So when I'm talking about money, which I've spent, I'm not talking about money I had in my pocket. This is all borrowed money from people, from payday loans, from credit cards, from family, from, you know, just like everywhere, squeezing money from everywhere, yeah, right, yeah. to make these things happen, right? So if you ever read my book, the chapter which everyone loves the most, The Struggle is Real, which is actually, it's funny, everyone loves that chapter the most, right, because it just talks about the anguish during those periods. So to get to that place where now, only in the last year we're talking about, only in the last year, so remember this, now this is all started for, let's say, 2009, right? And it, yeah, last year, 2021, like some point during 2021, I got to a place where finally I had almost equal, maybe slightly, maybe more money coming in and going out. I'm still in debts. I'm still clearing debts, but they're just manageable now. Before right. last year, they weren't manageable. I had more going out every month. I was recycling debts, you know, paying my credit card off and then minimum payment and going into the cash flow and taking the cash out because I need to go pay electricity bills and all that kind of stuff there, right? Only within the last year, I got to a place where it's like, you know, oh, whoa. Finally, there's money coming in to cover all the debts, to cover all the bills, to cover all the staff, and it's like it's, it's balanced and it's, it's at good. It's at a good balance now. I'm, as I said, I'm still in debt though. So a lot of people think you know I'm not. I'm still paying it off. It's just manageable, and that's why I'm like now the business has started to kick off, and you know we're starting to see where money could be coming from in the business, all these different things, right? I know it's a long, long story, but this is why I get to a point where it's like. If I put myself flat out again, I can see myself just doing that the rest of my life. But you've got to stop and ask yourself, why am I doing these things? What is the goal? Is the goal to be working, chasing the next thing? Because it's just like a tower block. You can always add another floor onto it. But why are you adding another floor onto it? Because you can always say, if you, as long as you've got planning permission, imagine they said sky's the limit and you're building this, this, this tall flat. And you're like, okay, we've got, we've got 20 floors right now. But if we add another floor and we add three, four flats there, we can make an extra blah, 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 extra thousand pounds, 2,000 pounds. Okay, cool. And as soon as you build that, you're like, if we build another two stories and you can keep doing that, right? But at what point do you stop and live? Because, you know, ultimately a lot of people think and say, you know, you're working to live and that's what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be working to live, not living to work. So at what point do you stop and say, okay, I'm going to now focus on, the work that I'm doing to live the life that I want to live. Yeah. Well, no, no wonder that was the most popular chapter in, in your book, because yeah, as you said, most people get that twisted and they get it round the wrong way. But, um, but yeah, so, so much to unpack there. But, but I mean, before we leave, one of the questions that we always ask all of the, the guests on the show, you know, the tagline of the show is shining a light on, on talent in the community. So for you, how much of your success has come down to talent or how much has come down to hard work or how much has come down to luck? Which, which of those three would you say has been most sort of influential in your success to date? Hard work. I think all three play a part. You need all three. Yeah. Just to let everyone know, don't, don't focus on, you know, trying to be lucky or just trying to be the most talented or just a hard worker. You need an element of all three. But I think for me, hard work, and the reason why I explain why it's hard work is because when I started as a barber, like I wasn't the most talented barber. I've trained up barbers underneath me where I said, you know what, you're naturally more gifted than me as a barber. 
you know, with your skill set. Like, you know, you train up a barber and it's like, we're two sessions in and it's like, whoa, you're about a year and a half in to what I was. I wasn't the most gifted barber. The thing which I had was a vision for what a haircut should look like. That was my gift. But cutting wise, I wasn't the most gifted. I just worked hard. So, and I acknowledged that I wasn't the most gifted and I got, came to a place where I realized, oh, naturally I'm not the best. So what I did was I worked harder than everybody else to be as good as I am now. You know, I remember speaking to some barbers younger than me saying to them, look, not being hard, harsh on you, but you're not actually the most gifted. If you really want to do this, you're going to have to work harder than your peers. So if you really want this, just understand for one, for every one hour that person does, you might have to do four hours to get the same um, level of skill out. So I think for me, it was my hard work. Like I worked very hard, but I worked very hard to be talented. And this is why I said you can't take it away from it. I didn't work hard running around like a headless chicken doing nothing. I worked hard to work on my talent so that my talent could shine. And when it comes to luck and fortune, you know, and being blessed, however you want to see it, that can also come from working hard and from the luck you create. (laughs) Because I've been lucky in some situations, but the reality is, as an example, if I'm working seven days a week, which it was when I first started working, when certain things came my way or certain opportunities came my way, yeah, I was fortunate that I was in the right place at the right time. But in reality, if you're spending 12 hours a day, as an example, in a barbershop and you're doing seven days a week, then you're more likely to get those opportunities or you're more likely to cut that particular person that comes in that might give you that opportunity because you're just always around. So you were fortunate, but you put yourself in a position to create that fortune. So but I put down the backbone of everything is working hard for me. I worked hard, but I put my hard work in the right areas. Brilliant. Brilliant. And what would you have done if you hadn't have crushed it? You know, if you hadn't have been successful as a, as a, you know, with your bar, barbershop and everything else that you've done so far, you know, if you, if you had your life again, what, what else would you have done? Would you, do you think? Um, well, if I didn't get to barbering as an example, because before I even started working in the barbershop, I was just about to start doing night shifts in Sainsbury's. And because of my hard work in nature, to be honest, I think potentially I could be managing Sainsbury's or managing branches in Sainsbury's. Because I just know that whatever I do, I just go into wholeheartedly and do it to the best of my ability, not even thinking about, you know, where am I going with it? And that's where a lot of my success has happened. Because even though I don't know what I'm getting from it or what's going to happen with this, I just work to the best of my ability. So if I worked in Sainsbury's and I was stacking shelves, I'd have been stacking shelves and I'd taken responsibility and I'd have done jobs to say the manager should have been doing just because I'm on the job. So looking in retrospective, I could have been just managing Sainsbury's stores, right? But if we're talking about me being a barber and not, and let's say my barbershop failed, what would I have been doing now? I don't know, just working in a barbershop, you know? Um, I would have been like, okay, hey, you know, can you, can I, can I, can I rent a space in your shop, please? Because my shop didn't work out. <laughs> or I would have been like, I would have rented a, a small garage in Hackney because there, there are these little small spaces they rent in Hackney and I might just work by myself um, in a shop. But I like working around people. So, you know, yeah, I would have done something along those lines. But if it's now based on my skill set, right, of what I have now, what I would do if these things didn't work out now, I could go into social media marketing, helping people grow their pages because I've helped quite a few people around grow their pages, um, teaching them what to do, you know, how to use the algorithm, you know, how to market yourself. I'd be, I'd be teaching business now. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mark, you've been a, a real pleasure to, to speak to. Do you want to let people know where they can find you? You know, how do they find you online? 
if you just type in slider cuts, which is S-L-I-D-E-R-C-U-T-S, slider cuts, you'll find me. Go to the website, slidercuts.com. I'm on LinkedIn under my actual name, Mark Bakaiva, which should be in the show notes. Um, how to spell my name, you know, Mark, M-A-R-K, Bakaiva, M-A-C-I-V-E-R. I'm on LinkedIn. You can connect me there. And every other social media platform, just Mark, um, just slider cuts. And your book, what, what's the name of your book? My book is called Shaping Up Culture. It's on Amazon. It's in Waterstones. You can order it online. It's in bookstores. So yeah, you can order it from my website, slidercuts.com. Yeah, it's everywhere. You can come in store as well and buy it in person if you want. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think it wasn't the last time I went into your, your barbershop, but I think it was during the summer. I mean, Mark's got all kinds of people coming into his, his barbershop. I mean, when I was there, I think Dizzy Rascal just cut, came in with his, with his young son, I think it was. Um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, this was during the summer. So, yeah, you know, head down to Hackney, get your hair cut down there, slider cuts, fantastic barbershop, the best I've been to. And, Mark, Thank if you, you ever need somebody to source you a, a good property in Croydon, you know, if you do get to that point where you're looking to expand down south, <laughs> I'm your man. I'm your man. We, def- we definitely need uh, a slider cuts in Croydon. Okay, okay. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much to Mark for being such a great guest. That's it for this episode of How I Crushed It. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends. You can follow us on social media using the handle at how I crushed it. That's at how I crushed it. And catch you on the next show.